Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, today we'll be looking at the ninth commandment as we continue to walk through the book of Exodus together and specifically as we continue our time uh, in the Ten Commandments. If you've been with us, you know that uh, we have addressed each of these on a particular Lord's Day, and as we have, uh, we've asked a series of questions. Uh, what does this commandment teach us about the character of God? Uh, what does this commandment teach us about the heart of man? And how does Jesus transform this commandment? And so we'll continue uh, to ask those questions as we come now to this ninth commandment concerning uh, the truth, concerning the call not to lie, especially in regards to bearing testimony and witness uh, against others, against our neighbor. And so to read it in its context, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Uh, again, remembering the setting here that God has led his people out of their slavery and captivity in Egypt, where they've been for hundreds of years. He is taking them on a journey to the land of promise, uh, the promised land. And on the way, he's gathered them at the foot of Mount Sinai, and he is giving his people his word, uh, often referred to as the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to pick up there in Exodus 20, verse 1, and read through verse 16. And so out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read this word for us. And this is what God's holy word says. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If you would, pray with me. Father God, we come again to Your Word. Uh, your Word that has stood firm through generations. And so we pray as we come to it today that we would be a generation that stands firm on Your Word. That we would listen to it. That we would live under the authority of it. Lord, that we would respond as You call us in repentance and faith. We pray that especially as we come to this ninth commandment today in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we come to this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We often think of, uh, you should not lie. And in general, that's what we're being told here in the ninth commandment. And 
when we think about not lying, perhaps what comes to mind for you is a story that many of us have been taught from a young age. A story about not lying. As the story goes, there was a young six-year-old boy named George Washington. And George Washington, as a six-year-old, was given a hatchet. And so he was doing what many six-year-olds would do with that hatchet. He was playing around uh, in his family's yard. And he happened to strike one of his father's prized cherry trees. And he damaged that tree. And so as the story's been handed down, as his father came to him and confronted him on what had happened to the tree, a young George responded, Father, I cannot tell a lie. And that story was first handed down in a book written by biographer Mason Locke Weems, entitled The Life of Washington. He published it in 1800. And they point that out because it's interesting that later research showed that Weems may have plagiarized some of his work concerning Washington and that that famous cherry tree incident was most likely made up by Weems. It's also interesting to note that Weems was also known as Parson Weems. He was an ordained minister, and so he probably needed a sermon illustration and uh, came up with something along these lines. I think it's interesting that this story that's meant to teach us that you should not lie is itself a lie. And that's kind of the culture we live in today. We are surrounded by so many lies that at times it's hard to distinguish between what is the truth and what is a lie. And most of us in this room would probably agree we shouldn't tell bold lies or major lies, but most of us have become accustomed to telling those little white lies. Uh, speaking a partial truth or not telling the whole truth or withholding part of the truth because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. In fact, I read a poll taken just a couple years ago where it said that almost half of Americans, only half of Americans, agree that you should always tell the truth. And the other half felt that it was perfectly okay to lie given certain situations. In fact, some of them preferred being lied to than being given the truth. And so we find that we are apt to lie, now, oftentimes about little things. What would you think of that meal? How do I look today? Oh, I didn't wake you up, did I? And these little things that we respond to many times without really thinking through intentionally that we're going to lie, just these little mistruths, these little lies come from our mouths. And we are surrounded by them. And so today I want us to consider the culture we live in, how apt we are to tell these little lies, lies that we may think are innocent or pure at times, and how we are to reconcile those things with Exodus 20:16. Uh, you should not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie against your neighbor. And so we'll look to this commandment as we have the previous eight by asking those questions I mentioned earlier. Beginning with that first question, what does this commandment teach us about the character of God? And we find this, point one there in your notes, that it reminds us that God is faithful and true. God is faithful and true. And any discussion of the ninth commandment must begin with this discussion of the attribute of God, the, the characteristic of God, that He is holy, that He is faithful, and that He is true. 
There is no falsehood in our Creator God. There is no little white lie in our Creator God. He is absolute truth. That's what David declared in his song of God that we read in 2 Samuel 22 where he says this, This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And we read similar words in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, where we find every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. And so the Scripture not only says that God is true, it says that His truth is something we can take refuge in. His truth is something that guards us and protects us. As David mentioned that passage earlier, in times of trouble, we should especially be comforted by the truth of God. And we find in His Word that His words are always true. And this isn't just with the Father. We see it with the Son in John chapter 1. And John describes Jesus as being full of grace and truth. He goes on in 1 John 4, 6 to describe the Holy Spirit in the same way and saying He was the Spirit of truth. And so we see our triune God as a God of truth, Father, Son, and Spirit, full of truth and faithfulness. I say this to make sure we understand that as those who follow a God of truth, a God who is truth, He calls us to be a people of truth. He calls us to be a faithful people because He's faithful to us, to be a true people because God is true. And so throughout His Word, we see this instruction resound. Leviticus 19.11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. Numbers chapter thir- Numbers 30, we see Moses teaching the people concerning vows, concerning promises they would make to one another. And he says this, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds from his mouth. Jesus continues in the same instruction when he comes into a context where so many of the Pharisees of his day had taken this instruction about vows and they had twisted God's word. And so when they made a vow, they, they kind of ranked how important that vow was based on what they would pledge according to. And so if they vowed in the name of the Lord versus I vow on my word, there was different severity there. In other words... Sometimes they would make a vow knowing full well they were going to break that vow. So they would phrase it a certain way to get themselves off the hook. Well, Jesus confronts this boldly by saying you shouldn't lie no matter what. He tells them, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And of course, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 reminds us that we need to speak the truth in love. He goes on to say that we should put away falsehood and let each one of us speak the truth to his neighbors because we are all members of one another, members of the body of Christ. And I think it's important to remember the ninth commandment in the context of Ephesians 4 because Paul brings back up this issue of our neighbor, this issue of one another. And that's the context here of the ninth commandment. And the ninth commandment doesn't just simply say, don't lie. It says specifically, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And it says that for a reason. There's a context here that it's important that we understand. And we find that context when we study the judicial system in the ancient world. 
You see, in these days where Exodus 20 comes to us, we find an ancient judicial system far different than our judicial system today. In fact, today we all know that phrase that you are presumed innocent until you're found guilty. But it was the exact opposite in the ancient world. You were presumed guilty unless you were found to be innocent. Uh, There was no forensic evidence. There was no DNA or expert witness in that day. Uh, What the trial consisted of often was an accuser. And often it could just be one accuser. And so in the word of one person who could make an accusation, another person would be found guilty. And this was true even in capital punishment. And so if someone was charged with murder, it just took one person to come and give testimony to say, they indeed are a murderer, I saw this take place, to condemn that person to death. And so in this system, there was a great deal of abuse. As I'm sure you could suspect here, one person decided to lie about another, well, they could sentence them to a fatal sentence. And so God wanted His people to be different. God wanted there to be justice among His people. And so the judicial system among the Hebrews and Israel was different than that in their culture. For example, when trials took place in Israel, they took place in front of a jury of elders. When trials took place in Israel, you had to have more than one witness. For example, we read in Deuteronomy 19 that one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense that he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was especially true in situations of capital punishment. And so for a capital offense, no one could be put to death by a single witness. In fact, when someone was sentenced to die, we find in Deuteronomy and as well, we see this in John chapter 8, that his accuser had to throw the first stone. And this was a safeguard because it was one thing for someone to make an accusation about another. It was a far different thing for them to execute the sentence of death against that person. And so God establishes this system of justice because he wanted to make sure justice was served among his people. He wanted to make sure there wasn't room for falsehood and lies among his people. He wanted to make sure there were multiple witnesses there. And he took these things very seriously. In fact, We read also in Deuteronomy 19 that if someone brought an allegation that was found to be false, the accuser was punished with the punishment they were seeking for the person they were accusing. And so it was very important that the people be honest. Now step back and think about this for a moment. In the ancient world, you had this system where among the pagans, among the non-believers, one witness was sufficient. But among God's people, there had to be Multiple witnesses. Why? Because God wanted to make sure there was justice. Wouldn't you hope, though, that God's people would be the ones that were honest? That God's people would be the ones where there only needed to be one witness because they were going to be so truthful that in the pagan world, the unbelieving world, you'd need multiple witnesses because people were so apt to lie? Wouldn't you think it might be that way? But we know it wasn't that way. Why? Because of sin. Because God knew His people. He knew how they would be tempted He knew that the truth was a struggle for His people just as the the truth is a struggle for God's people today. And so we see while this commandment reminds us that God is faithful and true, it also reminds us of something about us. Which brings us to that next question. 
what does this commandment teach us about the heart of man? And it teaches us this, point two, that sin distorts the truth and surrounds us with lies. And we see this all the way back in the garden and in Genesis where we've gone so often with many of these commandments. And there, you know, in Genesis we have God creating all things and all things were good in God's creation. And God creates the garden. And he creates boundaries in that garden. He places Adam and Eve, his creation, in the garden and he tells them that they are to look over that garden. They are to cultivate it. They are to have dominion over the garden. But he reminds them in that garden that they don't have dominion over everything. He reminds them that he is God and that they are not. And he does that by placing a tree in the garden, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so he gives Adam and Eve this instruction that they can eat any fruit from any tree in the garden, but they should not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, you know how the story goes. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That the enemy comes in the form of this serpent, and the very first thing the enemy does is questions the truth of God. Did God actually say? And it's not just in the garden that the enemy asked that question, is it? And that is a question that we see throughout our culture today. Did, did God really say that? that? Does the Bible really teach that? I mean, isn't God a God of love? And if, if God loves you, then, then He just wants you to love others and be loved. And so whatever makes you feel love, whatever makes you happy, that must be what God wants for you. And what does the culture tell us so often? Follow your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. And God wants us to be happy. God wants us to feel good. And when the Scripture confronts our lifestyle choices, when the Scripture boldly confronts our sin, the world around us so often says the very same thing we read in Genesis 3.1. Did God actually say... Well, surely that's not what that means. And that's if we even pay attention to what God said. See, we tend to then twist it. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 3. It's not just the enemy who twists the words of God. Then Eve and Adam begin to twist the words of God. As they begin to recount what it is God said, Eve says, well, no, no, God said this. And she adds to the word of God. And so we see how sin distorts the truth and surrounds us with lies. And we see as we read the Scripture that it's, it's not principally the serpent in the garden that we need to worry about. It's our own hearts. There, there's a serpent within us, the Scripture says. In fact, Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And friends, consider that in light of what we hear in our culture so often. Follow your heart. Trust your heart. Well, I just felt, I just had this, I just had this feeling. I just knew this was the right thing. We tend to depend so much on our emotion, so much on our heart, and the scripture says, wait a second, you need to be careful because the heart is deceitful. 
not just in general, but above all things. That means the most deceitful thing you and I have to be concerned about today lies within us. It is our heart. And the Scripture says it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so how we see this play itself out among us today is so often that we are deceived about our own sin. And we lie about our sin. And we deceive ourselves into thinking, well, that this won't hurt anyone else. And no one else will ever find out about this. Or we just lie and say, well, no, no, this isn't really sin. Because again, did, did God actually say? Hear this word in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God's Word says clearly, there's nothing done in the dark that won't be revealed one day in the light. That, that there's no sin in our life that will remain a secret. That there's no such thing as an unconsequential sin. There's no such thing as, well, this won't hurt anyone. And God says, don't be deceived. He will not be mocked. Whatever we sow, we will reap. And we see this throughout the Scripture, don't we? I think it's interesting to see how this plays out in the early church. In fact, one of the very first issues that's dealt with in the early church in Acts chapter 5 is the ninth commandment. It's lying. It's deceit. And if you remember in our study of Acts around chapter 5, you've got a situation where in the early church, members of the church were, were selling things they had in order to take care of the needs of others. This wasn't communist living. This was communal living. They were concerned about their brother and sister in Christ. They were concerned about the community of faith. And so one might have extra and they'd take what they had and they'd, they'd sell it and they'd give the proceeds there at the apostles' feet to be distributed to others who had needs. And so in that context, we see, for example, Barnabas, given that name, that the son of encouragement because he sold something he had and he gave to bless others. And then we see others like a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira. See, what the Scripture tells us about this couple is that they seem to have some envy. And they seem to want some glory for themselves. And they were deceitful. So they sold some land they had. And rather than just be honest and say, uh, we're going to give a portion of this, they decided to hold some of that back for themselves. But they lied about it. That they weren't honest. They weren't faithful witnesses. And so the Scripture tells us that what they sowed, they reaped. In fact, if you remember Acts chapter 5, it cost them their very lives. Why? Because they were lying about their sin. And friends, as we look to the church of Jesus Christ today, we are plagued with people who lie about their sin. We, we are plagued with pastors who lie about their sin. And we have no shortage of pastors and church members spread throughout churches all over our nation who will preach one thing on Sunday and live an entirely different way the rest of the week. 
Uh, people who will get put on an appearance on Sunday as they come to church and then live completely contrary to the Word throughout the rest of the week. And we, like Ananias and Sapphira, are a people who lie about our sin. We're people like the Pharisees of Jesus' day who twist the Word of God and who try to to, to, to make different levels of, well, well this, I, at least I'm not telling this big lie, or it's okay to tell this little lie, or if I say it this way, or if I say it this way, I can kind of twist this to my own advantage. And so whatever excuse we might have, we are a people, too, who struggle with the truth. And perhaps we see this most in the church today in how we deal with others. Again, the context of the ninth commandment here is bearing a false witness about others. So how does that apply to us today? Well, it goes far beyond a judicial system. In fact, we see in the New Testament that this was quite a problem in the New Testament church. And the way it's referred to there is gossip and slander. Telling a falsehood about another. Taking something you've been told and then just passing it on as if it's the truth when many times it indeed is a lie. And when many times it's to make yourself or someone else look better or feel better at the cost of a neighbor, another, a brother or sister. And the New Testament condemns this. The New Testament warns us about this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And we see almost an exact identical instruction given in his letter to the Colossians, Colossians 3.8, but, but now you must put them all the way, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. 1 Peter chapter 2, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It's repeated so often throughout the Scripture. The question is why? Why is this such a big deal? And the answer is because it's such a big deal. Because it's something we struggle with. Now I realize I'm talking to a far more spiritual group of people today than the Ephesians and Colossians. You know, we, we wouldn't slander, would we? We wouldn't gossip. No, we just might share a prayer request or two sanctified slander, godly gossip. Well, you know, we really need to pray for so-and-so because, would you hear about this? Well, we need to pray about that. And we try to sanctify it, we try to clean it up, we try to make it sound a bit better, but at the end of the day, we're doing exactly what the Scripture condemns. We're doing exactly what the ninth commandment calls us away from. We are bearing false witness about our brother and our sister. We are sowing the wind. And the scripture says we will reap the whirlwind. And there's an old saying among the rabbis that slander kills three people. The one who speaks it, the one who listens to it, and the one about whom it is spoken Puritan Thomas Watson made a similar point when he wrote this, He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue. And he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. And of course, that familiar proverb, Proverbs 18.8, tells us the words of a gossip 
are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. And you think about that for a moment. You think about how often when someone is talking about someone else, how we just eat it up. How we just crave it and we listen to it. This is the inclination of our sinful heart. And because of that, it's not sufficient for us today just to feel guilty about gossip and slander and to walk out of the church doors and say, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to be gossip free. No slander here. I'm going to just tell the truth. Or like that story of the six-year-old Washington, I cannot tell a lie. Friends, you realize even if the story was true, the story would be a lie because we can't say we could not tell a lie or would not tell a lie because we are liars. See, it's not sufficient for us just to vow and try harder. It's not sufficient just for us to commit ourselves to not doing something wrong. We need something to happen to us to change us, to change our hearts so that we might be a people of truth. So that we might run from the slander and the lies. And that brings us directly to that third and final question then. How does Jesus transform this commandment? Because He does. And we see in the Scripture this truth, point three there, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's how He transforms it. He transforms it by being the truth and calling us to be a people of the truth. But He doesn't just tell us to vow and try harder. He gives us a new heart. The Scripture says He makes us a new creation. He shows us what the truth is. And He calls us away from the darkness and the lies. In 1 John 5, verse 20, we read this, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know Him who is true. So the Gospel makes it possible for us now to know the truth. And we are in Him who is true. And His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God in eternal life. See, it's through the Gospel that we can know the truth but that truth is only found in Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go uh, do some uh, beach evangelism. This was uh, years ago. Sandy and I worked with the campus ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, and we were down in Daytona Beach, Florida. And So I went out with a couple other guys, and we were doing beach evangelism. We were just approaching people, talking to them about the gospel. I'll never forget this conversation I had with one young man. I want to say he was 16, 17 years old. He was on his own. He'd already left home. And he was basically just living from place to place with friends. At that particular moment, he was living in a little motel there at Daytona Beach. And as I started talking to him about the gospel, I'll never forget, he just completely shut down. He wanted to have nothing to do with Christ, with the gospel. He didn't want to hear anything about it. But he told me this. He said, you know what? I I'll tell you, I, I live my life by one motto. And that motto is that you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. <laughs> I said, well, friend, I live my life by that motto too. Do you know who said it? And he had all kinds of ideas. I said, let me, let me ask you to do something. When you go back to your motel room today, there's probably a, a Bible there. And he said, oh, yeah, it's in the drawer. So if you don't mind, look up John chapter 8, verse 32. 
and I wish I could have been a fly on that wall. <laughs> and that's not the words of man. That, that's the words of Christ. But when Christ says it, He's not calling us to some uh, search for intellectual knowledge. If we just go out there and read enough, if we learn enough, we'll know the truth and it'll set us free. He's calling us to Himself. And He's saying that in Him and through Him, we might know the truth. And if we know that truth, we can be free from the burden of sin. And we don't have to be a liar or a slanderer or a gossip. He can free us from this. But He calls us to some honest introspection. He calls us really to, to look at our hearts and to see what's there. To, to look and see because the truth reveals the lie. The light reveals the darkness. And to deal with the question today, are we indeed deceived and deceiving ourselves? And we also read earlier in 1 John this instruction. This is the message. We have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him there's no darkness at all. So, so God is the source of all truth. And He says if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. So we can't say we have fellowship with God while we're living a lie. We can't say we're in fellowship with the one who's the God of all truth while we're just lying to ourselves and lying to others. He goes on to say that if we walk in the light, if we walk in this truth as, as He is the light, Christ is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So we don't have to vow and try harder. We can confess and be forgiven. We can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. And again, that's our heart inclination. Our heart's deceptive. And the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, ask yourself that question today. Have you experienced this cleansing work of Christ? Have you confessed to Him that you indeed are a sinner? Have you repented and turned from that sin? And have you been cleansed? Have you been set free? Philip Ryken says it this way in his commentary on Exodus. He says, something wonderful happens when we're willing to confess the real truth about ourselves and all our sin. What happens is that we're able to see the real truth about Jesus and what He's done for our salvation. It's only when we tell the truth about our sin that we're able to see how much we need a Savior. Do you hear that? It's only when we tell the truth about our sin that we're able to see how much we need a Savior. The Savior who said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so this is what Christ does with this commandment. He takes us from being a people who are tempted to be lying witnesses. And it's not just that He says, stop lying. No, what Jesus does is He transforms this commandment. He raises the bar. It's not enough just to say, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to gossip, I'm not going to slander. What does He do? He calls people who were formerly lying witnesses, witnesses of lies and sin, and He raises the bar and He calls us to be witnesses of the truth. Witnesses of His truth. Witnesses of the Gospel. 
You see, what Jesus does with the ninth commandment is this in Acts 1.8. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. See, Jesus takes us, the former liars and slanders and gossips, he sanctifies us, he cleanses us, and then he says to us, oh, I want you to be a witness, but I want you to be a witness of the truth. I want you to be a witness of the gospel. Because that means today for us, friends, the practical application of the ninth commandment isn't just tell the truth. The practical application for the believer of the ninth commandment is be a witness for Christ. You're called to be a faithful witness. You're called to be a true witness, but not just in a judicial sense if you're called into a trial. You're called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Because, friends, according to the Word of God, Jesus is our great witness. Jesus is our great advocate. And when the enemy comes and says, Oh, not that one. I, let me tell you what that one's done. It is Christ, our advocate, who says, Yes, but he, she, they are cleansed by my blood. He bears witness on our behalf. And he calls us between this day and that day to be witnesses on his behalf. And so the question for you today is, are you a faithful witness for Christ? Or are you a slanderer? Are you a gossip? Are you living a lie today? Are you believing a lie? That the greatest lie you could believe this morning is that you can be saved apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. That somehow your efforts... Your things you've done, your good is somehow going to outweigh your bad, and that that's what's important. No, the Scripture says what's important is that you realize, standing before a holy God one day, that you, in and of yourself, and me, in and of myself, we have no merit before God. We have no claim before a holy God. There is no set of scales where our good outweighs our bad. And if there were, our bad would far outweigh our good. Because the Scripture says what? Our hearts deceive us. And they're wicked above all things. No, the truth we need to believe is that Jesus Christ on the cross paid the debt for you and I for our sin. And He calls us not to vow and try harder. He calls us to die. To repent to confess that He is Lord and to walk by faith with Him. To be faithful witnesses of Him. Have you done that? Now that's the question for us today as we come into this time of response. So if you would stand together as I pray for us, as we prepare to sing together, to repent together, to respond together. If you would join me first in prayer. Father, we do come to You in the name of Christ. Christ who is our King, Christ who is our Advocate, Christ who is our great witness before Your throne. Christ who shed His blood for us and covered us in our sin and our wickedness. Lord, as we each consider this ninth commandment today, what it teaches us about You and about ourselves, how Christ transforms it, I pray, God, that You would call us each to respond. Perhaps there's some here this morning, Lord, who who are under conviction now, that they've not been speaking the truth. 
And they may have considered it a, a little white lie, it won't hurt anyone, but perhaps you through your spirit and your word have convicted them this morning that, that we're called not to lie, not to slander, not to gossip. And that they need to repent. And perhaps there's some this morning who's been lying to themselves about their sin. Lord, help them to call it sin and to repent of it. Perhaps there's others, Lord, who as they consider what you're calling them from and what you're calling them to, they see the need there to, to be a more faithful witness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you give them boldness. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be faithful witnesses of the gospel to our neighbor and to the nations. Lord, that we would be a people who know the truth of the gospel, who are set free by the truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, help us as we respond, as we sing, as we pray, as we repent. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.